0: Thanks so much, Cara. And can I just add my welcome to the one you've already received? Um, it, it's If you've just started coming in the last few weeks, or maybe this is your first time here today, particularly warm welcome to you. Really looking forward to getting to know you, hearing a bit of your story. And it's an exciting time in the life of our church as people are kind of moving into the city and connecting with church in a whole new way. And we're looking forward to getting to know you. At the moment, we're, we feel called as a church to really focus uh, afresh on who Jesus is and the difference that makes for our everyday lives. So we're in a, in, in a series looking at different things Jesus has done and said and what that tells us about his character and what we can learn about through that. And today we're looking at this um, fascinating passage. And I don't know about you, but I find one of the real challenges of life actually is how we relate to other people around the area of navigating the way we form judgments and perceptions about other people. Uh, We know, maybe you've experienced this, how unpleasant it is when we feel like we're being judged by other people, either because of our background or our job that we do or where we grew up or maybe uh, a mistake we've made in our past. But it's not nice to feel that someone is judging you. And I think because of that, we never want to be thought of as being judgmental. Yet it's part of our human nature, and maybe an important part of our human nature, that, that we're, we're kind of forming perceptions and judgments about people and situations and decisions we've got to make all the time. And some of these are really important. Like it's important to work out who someone is and how much trust we can place in them. It's important to think about the right thing to do in different sessions. It's it's, it's important to work out the difference between good things and bad things. But if we're going to survive and thrive in life, we need good perceptions and to draw the right insights and to form the right kind of impressions. But without... We don't want to slip so easily into judging people. And that's why what Jesus says in this passage is so valuable, relevant to every one of us, and could make a huge difference for our everyday lives. And the first thing we see in this passage, it's important to know your limitations. Uh, Jesus sets out two ways to live. Are we gonna be judging and condemning, or are we gonna be generous and forgiving? Jesus says, don't judge, do not judge, and you'll not be judged, Don't condemn and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus warns us there's a consequence, a significance to the way we treat people and the way we look at people. But at the same time, Jesus says in John 7, don't judge people on outward appearances, judge people Rightly, Uh, Later on in this passage, Jesus goes on to talk about the importance of distinguishing between good and evil. So it seems there's a difference between sitting in judgment on someone where we feel superior and we're able to write them off, where we're righteous and they're wrong, where we're holy and they're horrible, where we've got it all together and they're falling apart. There's a difference between that kind of judging and exercising judgment, discerning, coming to a view on the things that really matter, discerning the difference between right and wrong. And Jesus says, don't do the former. Don't judge that way. Don't condemn, because you're never closer to being a hypocrite than when you're judging others. Why is that? Well, I think generally, we tend to judge others by their negative actions, and we judge ourselves based on our positive intentions. We, we tend to attribute our difficult behavior to the particular context and constraints that we're facing at any given moment in our life, but we tend to attribute other people's difficult behavior to flaws in their character. We tend to be very good judges for other people's mistakes, and very good defense lawyers for our own mistakes. And I think part of the reason for that is that our sight, is inevitably a little bit impaired. Our perception is impaired. You know, we tend to think that we know all the important things that are going on in our own lives, you know, our, our motives, our intentions, and we make allowances for them when we're assessing our own behavior. But rarely do we ever have that much information about other people. I wonder how many times in your entire life, you know, whether it's at work or in the College bar, or in your halls, or in your family, maybe in your extended family, or with a friend, or, or, or with um, yeah, some someone you've come across recently in your life. How many times you've ever gone up to someone and say hi? You know, um, you know, it's good to see you. Uh, I just wanted to let you know I'm starting to form a really negative perception about you as a person, and. Um, You know, I'm conscious, though, I might not have weighed all the facts, so there might be more information you want me to take into account before I form that negative perception. So I just wonder, you know, what are your core motivations in life? You know, what are your values? What drives you um, to do this job or, you know, um, to treat people in the way you do, you know, is is your home life quite difficult at the moment? Is that what's causing you hassle, or maybe maybe your job's quite stressful at the moment, or maybe you had a really difficult upbringing? I'm assuming there's something that makes you behave the way you do, but I'd just love to know what it is. I mean, we just never do that. We never do that. We never have that conversation. What we do is we form a perception, and then we interpret people through that perception. And often we're very good at filling in the gaps. And where things aren't quite sure or there's ambiguity, we can tend to fill in those gaps with uh, neg- negatively. When I worked as a barrister, I would defend people um, accused of crimes. And sometimes uh, some of those people were, were quite famous people and celebrities. And in one case, I defended um, someone who's quite a famous singer. And at that time, she was kind of A-list singer, was very well known. And she was quite young. Um, I'd love to tell you her name, but I can't. And uh, her lifestyle had been represented in a certain way by certain sections of the media. And it probably doesn't take much imagination to work out what that involved. And so most people who were aware of her would have had a certain perception of her character and her lifestyle. And she was being uh, prosecuted for this offence. And everyone around the case, the police and the prosecution, had come to an opinion on her and decided that she must be guilty. And she said she wasn't guilty, and um, there was evidence that showed she might be guilty, and we didn't have really anything apart from her word to say that she wasn't guilty. So it was a little bit tricky, and I I met with her, and in that conversation, I I suddenly realised she was quite different to how she'd been portrayed in the press. She was actually quite kind. She was really thoughtful, uh, really actually very, very bright. And she just let slip at some point in the conversation that she was a carer a person who was struggling in her extended family. And most people would never have known any of those things. But she said she was innocent, and so and we cracked on. And because we didn't have anything to help her, really, we were pushing the prosecution for weeks and weeks and months and months to disclose their files to us, just so we could check if there was anything in their files that might help us uh, prove that she was Innocent, and they they resisted, and they delayed, and they took ages, and then on the morning of the trial, with 20 minutes to go, the prosecutor came up to me and he said, "Oh, you wanted you wanted those papers? Here you go." And he just lumped this pile of papers on me, and he said, "That's that's the file." And so I was like, "20 minutes to go." So I found found a quiet space, which isn't easy to do outside a courtroom, and then I was just kind of trying to leaf through these pages, like, is there anything here, helped? anything help, and often there isn't, you know, you're just doing due diligence, but you're looking through thinking, maybe there's something, maybe there's something, maybe there's something, anything, and you're looking, clock, 10 minutes to go, no, I can't see anything, and then suddenly, I came across this page, and I looked at it, and it took my breath away, because on that page was information, facts, which proved beyond any shadow of a doubt that she was innocent completely. There was mistaken identity, and there was no way that she could be the person who had committed that crime. And I thought, what do I do? And I, I kind of went to the photocopier, and I was just about to put it in, but I don't know if you've had the same experience I've had with photocopiers, which is the more important the moment is, the more likely it is to kind of rip it up and shred it out. And I thought, I can't really take that risk. So I just kind of ripped it out of the file, and I went into the courtroom, and I went over to the prosecutor, and I held it up to him, and I said, look, look, she's innocent. She's actually innocent. And he kind of looked at it, and he's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) And um, and then the judge came in and said, your honor, you know, she's innocent. And a bit blighter. And so we kind of came out of the court, and... I was wearing my wig my gown, and she kind of turned around and looked at me, big big smile on her face, and she said, yes, my barrister, give me a high five. And, um, and so slightly, slightly awkwardly, I had to kind of go, of that, you know, <laughs> the highlights of my legal career. And, um, but the thing was, it was in their papers. They had the document in their possession the whole time for months, but because they'd already formed a perception about her, because they'd already formed a judgment about her, They missed it and they didn't see its significance and they had filled in the gaps negatively around it. When we judge others, we do so without the facts. We form a perception and then we fill in the gaps and it's dangerous because we're likely to get it wrong because we've lost sight of our limitations. You don't know everything. I don't know everything. The only person who does is the one who has reserved judgment to himself and that's God. And he says, judgment belongs to me. Know your limitations. Then the second thing we see here is to fix your blind spots. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And that's a really good question. It's a really good question. Doesn't Jesus ask fascinating, great questions? Because not only do we not have all the information about others, sometimes we can't even see clearly what's going on in our own minds and our hearts, our sight, is obscured. We can be very good, actually, at ignoring our own failings or not even realising they're there. And that's a real challenge because if, and we can't, if, if we've got blind spots and we can't see them, and generally speaking, you can't see your blind spots, that's why they're blind spots. If we can't see our blind spots, we're more likely to focus on other people's faults. The easiest way to distract yourself from your own faults is to become fixated on other people's. So we're more likely to judge if we're blind to our own faults and we're more likely to do it badly. I mean, it's a fascinating image Jesus uses here. I mean, imagine someone coming up to you at work or in, in your halls tomorrow and saying, oh, you've got something, you've got a little speck of dust in your eye. Um, let me just, I'll just come in close, I'll get it. Don't know, I can help, honestly, I can help. You'd be like, what are you doing? No, no, it's honestly, I'm really good at this. Honestly, I'm really good. I can't quite see, i just, just I'm about to get it. But it's ridiculous. You will not let them anywhere near you. But that's what we're often trying to do. If we're not aware of our own blind spots, if we're not aware of the planks in our own eyes, and we're trying to help other people, trying to point out other people's faults, trying to, trying to kind of help them with their stuff, and we can't even see with clarity to do it. We've got no hope of helping people with their faults if we're blind to our own because we won't have the perception, we won't be able to see clearly enough, we won't have the gentleness, we won't have the insight, we won't have the precision, we won't have the care, we're going to be fishing around, and we're going to be clumsy, and we're probably going to hurt people. The solution from what Jesus says is for your own faults to loom much larger in your mind than other people's. And it's a little bit like this, I don't know if you've ever felt like this in your life, but um, there's times when we feel, you know, oh, we, you know, we feel like we've got it all together, we're very emotionally aware, you know, we're kind of like, you know, very astute, we've seen a few winters, and we're kind of like going around, and we're like, you know, I'm very good at, you know, seeing the problems that people have, and we're kind of looking through our magnifying glass, walking around, oh, that person, they struggle with this, and that person struggles with this, and this person doesn't realise this is their stuff, but I can see it so clearly, and we're going around with our magnifying glass, focusing on the faults other people have. And it's a little bit like Jesus would say, you know, put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror. You know, before you even start examining other people for a magnifying glass, make sure you're checking what you've got going on in yourself. Because the quickest way to forget about other people's faults is to remember your own. To remind ourselves we've got things we need to deal with too um years and years ago i used to work with a guy and um he was actually very bold and very brash and uber confident and he would kind of dominate the room and uh he i i kind of liked him but i kind of found him quite difficult as well and there'd be times where I just basically started forming this the is I was like, this guy's just proud. He's just, like, so proud. He really annoys me. Sometimes the things he says, it's so obviously proud. He's obviously compensating for his insecurity or something. And he's so proud and, you know, he's so brash. And it just really started to bug me. And actually, I, I think one of the reasons I saw it so clearly was because, you know, I, I was quite proud of the fact that I was more humble than him. You know, and... and um, And so it really bothered me, you know, this proud guy kind of trying to own the room the whole time. And so I I wasn't sure what to do about it. I went to see a mentor, and um, the mentor gave me a useless piece of advice. They said, why don't you pray for them? I said, I don't want to pray for them. That's not helpful. He's really annoying. And they were like, no, I think it will help if you pray for them. So so that night, I kind of thought, right, okay, um, Lord, I pray for, let's just call him Phil, because that was his name, actually. And um, (laughs) I finding Phil really difficult and uh, don't know what to do about it and he's so proud and, and in that moment I felt the Holy Spirit ask me a question and the Holy Spirit was like why do you think you see his pride so clearly? I was like well apart from you know, you know my insight and my wisdom um, uh, why do you see it so clearly? And I was like I don't know and, and it was almost like I felt the nudge to say do you think you might see it so clearly because there's also quite a bit of pride in you it's different, you're not as brash as he is, but you, you do have a fair bit of pride, Stephen. And I was like, "Really?" <laughs> and, um, and then I asked a question, very dangerous to ask the Lord a question. I said, um, I said, "Well, can you show me if I've got pride in me?" And then he did. And it turns out, I did. <laughs> and I suddenly became aware of all these ways even though I was quite good at hiding it, I was proud. And it kind of got a grip on me. And actually, one of the reasons I saw it so clearly in him is because I hadn't acknowledged it in myself. That's the thing about the power of projection. You often see in others what you're not owning in yourself. And so I asked God to help me with my pride. And here's the fascinating thing. I didn't actually change. I didn't didn't speak to him about his pride. I never mentioned it. But because I was much more conscious of my own pride. I, I kind of related to him in a different way. And I, I started to see the other really great aspects of his character and, you know, the great things he had. And, and, and that meant that actually the pride didn't seem so significant anymore. And I think without realizing it, because I was relating to him in a much warmer way, it, he relaxed a little bit and stopped trying to impress me. And, and our relationship was completely transformed within just a couple of months just by praying. You know, if you want to find your blind spots, ask God's help. What are the areas I'm quick to see in other people? Might they be areas where I've got some stuff to sort out in myself? And It's a prayer the Holy Spirit loves to respond to and loves to help us with and loves to refine us in find your blind spots and then stick close to Jesus. Jesus says the blind can't lead the blind. If you follow someone who can't see things right, you're going to end up lost. And that doesn't mean, you know, you've got no hope, so don't follow anyone, so just just go off on your own and do your own thing. Jesus says you need to get trained by a teacher so you can become like your teacher. And Jesus goes on in this passage later um, to say, You know, why do you say, Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? He says, build your life on the rock, on my words. Build your life on my words. Ultimately, our teacher is Jesus. And that's really important. Because if you're anything like me at this stage of reading this passage, you're thinking, right, if I judge, I get judged. If I condemn, I get condemned. So... I think I'm going to back away from this whole area. I'm not even going to think about another person again. I'm going to think about them negatively. I'm never going to form a perception of anyone else again. I'm going to keep myself to myself. Zip it. I'm going to keep my thoughts to myself. I'm going to, you know, you do you. I'll do me. Just go through life and never say another thing because it's too risky. So here's the risk. Back away. And that's one of the interesting things is that generally speaking, people's willingness to judge others decreases as their competence to judge other people increases. Because as we become more aware of our own faults, we actually become much more reticent about identifying other peoples. Much more reticent about speaking about the other things people are finding challenging. So just as you're starting to grow in wisdom and perception to help people out with their stuff, you become very reluctant to do it. And it's fascinating because Jesus doesn't say, take the plank out of your own eye and then just stay out of trouble and be quiet and don't get involved. You've caused enough hassle in your life. He doesn't say that. He says, first, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. And in those days, mirrors were very rare. You had to be very, very affluent to have a mirror. And even the ones that people did have were not very great. So if you had a speck in your eye, you were stuck. You spent days trying to pull it out, scratching up your eye, unless there was someone who'd be willing to help you with it. So you had to be close enough to someone and trust them enough for them to come and help get the speck out of your eye. And although, obviously, we've advanced in so many different ways, we think we're so much wiser, we're so much more aware, we're so much more developed... We still need other people to help us grow. Who have you given permission to be close enough to you and loves you enough to help you with your blind spots, to help you with those specks that you might want to get out of your eye? Who are the people in your life who have given you permission to get close enough to them and to help them grow. Help us where we might be getting things wrong. Because it's not loving, actually, to wash our hands of people and step away. It's not kind to just say, well, <laughs> this person's obviously got an issue, I'll leave them to cause chaos on their own and work out on their own. No, Jesus says anyone who's fully trained becomes like their teacher. If we want to become like Jesus, the only way we can do this is to be led closely by Jesus, to be so close to him, to follow him so closely as our teacher, that by his spirit, we see and we're so aware of his mercy and his grace and his compassion and his courage, his ability to ask difficult questions from time to time. And that rubs off on us. And we want to be more like him. And that's so important because the risk, once you start talking about the falls, the things we struggle with, is that we all become a little bit introspective. We all become so consumed by the things we're battling and the things we're challenging by that we don't even have the bandwidth to step out and help anyone else. Robert Murray McShane said this. He said, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He's altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace. And all four sinners live much in the smile of God. Bask in his sight. Feel his all-seeing eyes settle on you in love and lean on his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-consuming sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. For every one look at yourself, have 10 looks at Jesus Christ and see Jesus. If you want to cleanse your eyes, look at Jesus. If you want to heal your heart, look at Jesus. If you're finding someone difficult and you're desperate to judge them and you're just about holding it in, look at Jesus. If you're trying to find the words to help a friend who needs your help but you're not sure what to do, look at Jesus. If you want to come alongside and encourage someone who's hurting themselves but you're you're nervous about stepping into that space, look at Jesus. If you need courage to take a step across the room and ask someone, give them permission to speak into your life in that way, look at Jesus. Jesus bore the judgment of God, so you would never have to fear it. Jesus, who will come again in glory one day and judge the living and the dead, but he looks on you with compassion. Jesus, the only person who has ever lived, who knew everything there was to know about every person he ever met. All of the hopes, all of the dreams, all of the fears, all of the disappointments all they're proud of and push to the surface, all they're ashamed of and try and bury and hide, who saw people with 20-20 vision, but didn't use that to condemn them or to judge them, but used that to encounter them with compassion and draw them into relationship with God. That was what he wanted to do. Jesus, who loves people too much to wash his hands of them. He's not going to wash his hands of you, though you might have had a difficult week or a difficult month and be wondering what it's all about. Jesus who comforts the disturbed but is willing to disturb the comfortable. Jesus who unsettles the proud but draws close to those who feel weak and meek and vulnerable. Jesus who loves you to the very core of your being and wants you to grow in a peace and a holiness and a mercy and a compassion that only he can provide. And just think what could happen in our companies, in our families, in our halls, in our colleges. As we ask the Holy Spirit to show us our blind spots, as we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to follow Jesus closely, as we become captivated by him, that people might look at us and say, there's something different about those people. I know this is happening even now. I've heard the stories from you. Something different about those people. People. They're wise, but they don't judge. They've got great perception, but they use it to raise up, not tear down. They don't condemn, but they're absolutely committed to me becoming all that God intended me to be. They don't back out, they lean in, they're fully engaged. And yet there's a tenderness about their words. And a, and a kind of a really kind energy about their engagement. Think what a difference it might make. As we seek, you know, to to ask the Holy Spirit, remind us of our limitations. God, we don't want to step on your turf. You judge, we'll follow. Ask the Holy Spirit to to show us our blind spots that we might fix them. And ask the Holy Spirit to help us to follow Jesus so closely. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you like to stand? And we're going to pray. Just want to encourage you. If you're happy, um, maybe you just want to hold out your hands like this. This is just maybe a sign for you that you'd, you'd like to receive something from God today. Maybe you want to close your eyes and fix your thoughts on Jesus. I'm just going to pray one of the oldest prayers of the church. It literally goes back centuries. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Lord, right across this church. Thank you, Lord, for the way we've sensed your presence already. Ask, Lord, would you minister to us afresh? Would you come, Holy Spirit? Come, Holy Spirit. We're just going to wait for a moment. Maybe uh, there's a, a relationship or a person that's been coming to mind, even in the last couple of minutes, and and you just know that's something where you're judging or you're you're feeling really tempted to judge. Like God, I don't know what to do about this person. I find them really difficult, and maybe it's a colleague or a family member or an extended family member or an ex, <laughs> um, and and maybe you, you just want to say, Lord, I just just help me. I don't know what to do. I just want to hand it over to you today. Just picture yourself almost handing that relationship over to Jesus. I have a sense that um, for, for someone, it's, it, it's almost it's tied to a physical space. It's either it's an office or a, a ward of a hospital, I don't know, or or a room, maybe a space in your university, and and it's like you think, oh yeah, but this sounds great, but what am I going to do when I go into that space? Because um, it feels different in that space. I find it really hard. So, and again, encourage you, just just picture yourself praying over that space. that it would be different this week. Say, Lord, I need need your presence to go with me, go before me, go in me this week. So that space even feels different because I am in it and you have placed me there. Maybe you're here and actually you've felt at times in your life really judged. Just sense maybe you've related to God as a judge before someone that loves you. See, God's justice is his mercy. It's motivated by kindness. And he hasn't washed his hands of you. And he is waiting for you to take a step towards him today.